I guess our our focus has very much been taken by coronavirus during 2020. But although that's what the, the news has been full of for a whole year, nevertheless, there have still been things going on around the globe, um, all of which play their part, either great or small, in, in the working out of God's purpose and bringing it to fruition with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and if you if you can reopen your Bibles again at Luke chapter 21, you'll remember that uh, in the first talk we read those words from verse 26, which reminded us that men's hearts would be failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. And we've seen our fair share of those sorts of things in 2020 haven't we? Things that will make men's hearts um, fail from fear. Um, and actually some of them have been listed for us earlier in the chapter, haven't they? Let's go back, if we will, to, uh, to verse 9 and that compact list that the Lord Jesus went through there for us. Verse 9, when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And, uh, and it's pretty easy, actually, as it is most years, to create a list that, that meets this list that Jesus mentioned. So, you know, we can consider famine and uh, and there has been famine going on uh, in many parts of the world again uh, during 2020. The year started actually with that gigantic uh, locust invasion of, of East Africa, which, uh, which devastated crops all, all down the, the Horn of Africa there. But um, even, even when you go away from traditional famine zones and, and uh, Southern Africa, places like Mozambique are struggling at the moment, but this, this report by the UN uh, said that 137 million people could face acute food insecurity by the end of 2020. Guess what? Mainly caused by the impact of coronavirus, uh, not just because of, of drought and, and flooding and, and the like, as would normally be the case. Um, so, yes, famines. Uh, famine certainly has been a, a feature this last year. Earthquakes. Well, it's been another year of these as well, perhaps not. Uh, with quite the um, headline grabbing attention that we've seen with some earthquakes in the past, but uh, places like Turkey and Greece, uh, Mexico and, and Iran, Alaska and Russia have seen their fair share. And if you can read what's on your screen, you'll see some of the biggest that there were last year, a typical year actually uh, for earthquakes, 121 around the world over 6.0 on the Richter scale. And war? Well, war and rumour of war, there was plenty of that too. The, the, the conflict in Yemen, which shows no sign at all of ending anytime soon. The, the, the continuing devastation in Syria as well. The war that broke out at the end of last year in Nagorno-Karabakh between Armenia and Azerbaijan. The civil war that's still affecting so many, including all our brothers and sisters in the Cameroon in Africa, the, the, the civil war that broke out in, in northern Ethiopia and has been pulling that country apart just this last month. 
and of course ongoing um, terrorist groups attacking villages and towns in Nigeria and in Niger and in Mali uh, in that part of the, the Sahel in, in Africa. When we think of these things, brothers and sisters, and, and when we dip into our news and go beyond the coronavirus headlines, we can see, can't we, the words of Jesus just being fulfilled over and over again, right before our eyes. But I want to look at, uh, at something else in, in this session, if I may. Now, this is, uh, this is to do with my approach, if you like, to a prophecy. It's not a unique approach by any stretch, but it, uh, it is the, the principles uh, upon which I tend to look at prophecy in scripture. One of them you've already heard me rattle on about, uh, which is that I'm always looking for a dual fulfillment because, because so many of the visions and the prophecies that we have um, in scripture have that as, as, a, as an element of them. It, so many prophecies, even ones written about events in Old Testament times, actually end with a vision of the kingdom or something about the return or the judgment day. Um, and therefore, even if they were written about the, the Assyrian or the Babylonian invasions or the first century, nevertheless, actually, they've got a relevance and an application again to the last days. So whenever I'm looking at prophecy, I'm looking for that dual fulfillment. And, and I think it's a really important thing for us to do. Otherwise, we might ask the question, why, why is all that prophecy there in Scripture? We certainly don't need so much of it to convince us it's God's word, yet it's there anyway. Um, and the other um, consideration is, is that when I look at prophecy and I take the Bible as a whole, um, I look at the frequency of the message, um, which is a way of me saying I'm, I'm, I'm looking for those things that, that are repeated messages. What is it that we're told over and over again that comes up in not just one prophet, but in another and another and another? Because if it's coming up frequently, and particularly if there's a, a last day application, then, then maybe that's giving you and me something of a focus for the things that we should be looking at most closely. Um, and actually, when we when we look at that and say, well, what is what is the focus? Uh, the where where is the, the message most frequently targeted? It's on Israel. Well, no surprise there that the word of God is about Israel, but. Um, you know, when, when consider what what God has to say about Israel, Israel, the people, Israel, the land. He says back in Deuteronomy 11, doesn't he? It's a land which the Lord thy God careth for. For the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. Well, no surprise that most of what he says is about that land. Or, or like he says later on in, in Jeremiah, talking of, of the people of Israel. He says, for mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Yes, God is always focusing himself on his people and his land. So a prime concern of, of the prophetic message in scripture is that the people of Israel. And, uh, and not just Israel either, because the the other uh, focus we get when, when we start going through uh, prophecy as a whole is that there's an awful lot of focus on Israel's neighbours, um, the nations, I guess, that you would call their brothers or, or maybe maybe their cousins. And um, they, they recur again 
and again and again in in God's message more than you might expect actually that's why even if you can't read the the text because it's tiny on your screen um I thought it'd be worth putting up this table just to look at the the the, the nations like Edom Moab Ammon Tyre Sidon Gaza the Philistines Syria Assyria Babylon Egypt Ishmael Arabia those, those nations um that are those all around Israel and many related to Israel and look at how frequently they appear in the prophetic message in scripture because all, all these chapters that uh, I've quoted there from Psalms right through to Zephaniah have have mention of of different ones of those nations amongst them in other words um God through the pages of prophecy is saying look at Israel um and look around Israel look at the people closest to them so that's that's um, that's my focus, if you like, generally when I'm looking at, at prophecy. And, and that's what I'm going to do a little bit now, uh, if I may, for the, the few minutes that we have in, in this study. Let's start then by thinking about the, the people of Israel in particular. And I'm afraid for a moment I'm going to go back to a uh, back to the, the grim story of coronavirus, because I, I mentioned this in, in the first study. And it was the. The fact that Israel has been one of the worst hit nations by this virus, certainly the worst hit in the Middle East. Um, and and you, you may well know, of course, that like ourselves, who are in the third lockdown, um, Israel, too, have, have gone into their third lockdown now. Um, and, and as I said, the the. The virus, even though even though they're vaccinating faster than anybody else in the world, uh, the impact of the, the virus itself seems to have been higher on on Jewish people than on so many others, disproportionately so. Um, you may remember back to uh, in the summer, there was a period, of course, when New York, uh, the just the, the state of New York had the highest concentration of, uh, of coronavirus cases in the world and certainly in the US. And even then, they, they reckon the number of uh, cases was 1% of the New York population. But 6% of the Jewish population within New York. So it was six times as prevalent within that one ethnicity of people, even, even in the worst hit state within the US. And, um, and we, we might ask the question, why? Why, why were God's people affected so much more than, than others. Why is it that even now with their vaccine rollout, the cases are still massively high there? Well, if you go back into last year, which I'm supposed to be doing, um, in the early days, the, the Orthodox Jews were actually very resistant to the restrictions that were put on most of us, that the lockdowns that went on around the world and in their own country were ones that they, they wouldn't take seriously or would deliberately not comply with. And you can actually see a if you can see the picture on screen, you can see a huge funeral for a rabbi that took place in um, in, in New York, even despite the uh, the restrictions that should have been in place. Uh, but also we, um, studies were, began to find that their, their living situations because of their urban population cramped households and that the social nature of Judaism where Men and women would come together several times a week for Bible study, for prayer, for worship, for weddings, for funerals, for bar mitzvahs, all of those things, particularly if you weren't keeping the rules, led to a, a massive um, 
outburst of a outburst, sorry, outbreak of coronavirus amongst God's people. So we, we can look at a particular a particular sign of the last days and we can look at God's people in particular, both in their land and around the world. And, and it's worth us considering that, isn't it, from from God's viewpoint that here we can see God at work, that, that for all for all the people of Israel, for all the Jewish nation's technology, for all their intelligence, for all their diligence and how hard they work at these things. It doesn't provide them with a solution because they are a people not in tune with their God, aren't they? Although they are God's people and God's witnesses, yet they continually, even today, fail to benefit from all the blessings that the covenants with God could have brought them because, of course, they they failed to to live up to the covenants by accepting the the saviour which God sent for them. And, and they will continue to fail to receive those blessings, of course, until they recognise their Messiah, as as we know, Zechariah chapter 12 tells us they will. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, that when God was establishing his, his covenant with Israel in the first place, he said to them, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I've brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And that day will come, brothers and sisters, when, when the Lord God will heal his people um, both spiritually and, and physically. Uh, but it's not here yet, is it? It's not arrived yet for Israel today. And actually their, their condition and the impact coronavirus has had on them is a testimony to the fact that these covenants are still working their way out uh, and the consequences of the covenants in their lives. So that's that's one sign maybe we could, we could be looking at and, and we'll have seen in action back in 2020 and I dare say we'll see it this year as well. Um, what about though anti-Semitism? Because, and I don't expect you to be able to read any of this on screen, it's deliberately tiny, um, but 2020 saw a continued rise in the number of cases of anti-Semitism around the world. That the, the sentiment of, of anti-Jewishness um, has risen, not just in countries where we might expect to see it, you know, the likes of, a, of, of Iran and other, other um, radical Islamic states, but even in places where we perhaps wouldn't expect to see it. Um, Germany, which after the Second World War has absolutely um, stamped down on, on anti-Semitism of any sort, nevertheless has seen a, a dramatic increase in recent times and particularly in this last year even though, of course, the government tries to continue to suppress that. Um, and, and it seems that maybe Nazism is, is coming back there. Or the US, the, 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 the place outside of Israel with the greatest Jewish, uh, sorry, yes, outside of Israel, uh, with the greatest um, Jewish population. There too, there have, there have been an increase in numbers of anti-Semitic attacks and, uh, and actions, which, as you can see from the headlines there, are uh, are deeply disturbing the people. These sort of, of incidents are on the increase. It, it's a reminder, isn't it, of 
what God said through Moses way back in Deuteronomy 28, when he said, thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all the nations whither the Lord shall lead thee. And even today, that, that word of, of God about the proverb, the byword, um, is still true now. Um, and we, we can see it playing out on our on our news. And brothers and sisters, we should expect to see more of this. We should expect sympathy for God's people to lessen and antagonism towards them to increase until the day comes when they are bereft of any friends whatsoever. Because the, the attitude of the world to, towards God's people, wherever they are, that seems to be key, doesn't it, in Scripture, to, to the bringing about of the fruition of God's purpose and the return of the Lord Jesus. And um, we know that, don't we, from the Old Testament. Come come back with me then, please, to uh, Zachariah's well-known words in, in chapter 14. We'll come back to chapter 14, please. While you do that, I'm going to stick a marker in another chapter like I should have done before the talk started. But Zechariah 14, Israel, we see, without, without any friends at all uh, at the time of the end. Because what does verse 2 say? For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. All nations gathered to battle. Actually, that's just a repeat of, of what Zechariah has already said back in chapter 12. What does he say in chapter 12? And um, verse three, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. All nations, all people um, gathered against God's people and against his city. That's why it's important, brothers and sisters, that whatever else is going on in the world, whatever else takes up our, our news media's time, nevertheless, we should try and keep a focus on Israel and on God's people, um, because what's going on towards them is uh, it seems is is the key in in prophecy of the last days. So, um, just while we're thinking about that, actually, while we're in Zechariah um, and we're thinking about Israel and the last days, um, of course, there's another familiar incident, isn't there, in this chapter, in this this uh, famous prophecy about the return, and it's the the huge event which will herald the return of the Lord Jesus himself. Um, and it's there in verse four, isn't it, of Zechariah 14, you know, when Jesus comes back on God's behalf to judge the nations who have overrun Jerusalem. It says in verse four, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south massive earthquake that uh, that is going to take place you know as as recently as as december the 30th this came up um, in my own particular news feed 
the headline from the Jerusalem Post, Israel to be soon hit by a destructive and deadly earthquake, study shows. And uh, the, the study uh, research um, suggests that the next uh, big earthquake is going to do in a huge damage there. Let me just read you a bit of the blurb in case you can't see it. A destructive earthquake measuring 6.5 on the Richter scale is expected to hit Israel and its surrounding neighbours in the coming years, causing hundreds of deaths. A new study led by researchers from Tel Aviv University has found. Uh, the study was carried out under the auspices of some scientific folks, published in the Science Advances Journal, uh, and it was based on findings by a rig placed in 2010 in the centre of the Dead Sea, which was drilling to a depth of hundreds of metres enabling an analysis of thousands of years of Dead Sea geology uh, on the seabed to take place. So they looked at, uh, at the, the soil core sample that they dug up and looked at earthquakes of the past. Now, of course, you and I know, brothers and sisters, that God doesn't rely on, on plate tectonics to get his will done, does he? Um, it, just because the, the researchers say, oh, there might be one coming, doesn't mean that God's waiting on, on it, um, because what God says will happen will happen. Nevertheless, it's interesting, isn't it, to see that, uh, that even in Israel, the expectation is there of a huge and destructive earthquake taking place in their own land, even from a what we might call a natural point of view, accepting, as we do, of course, that the hand of God is behind all these things. So the event that we are waiting for is nearly here. There's another thing then that came up in 2020. But I think probably what you're waiting for me to talk about, given that I've said I'm going to talk about Israel and her neighbours, is what perhaps was the most unexpected um, and dramatic development in the Middle East last year. And it was this set of events, uh, the signing of, of normalisation agreements, effectively peace agreements between Israel and a range of Arab and other Islamic states started off in August, didn't it, where first of all the United Arab Emirates signed on the dotted line and then Bahrain uh, followed them and then Sudan later on and then finally Morocco. There was an expectation of course that, uh, that more nations would follow and that the one that everybody was waiting for was, uh, was Saudi Arabia under their so-called progressive new leaders. Um, Amazing stuff, brothers and sisters, because this is this is how amazing it is. Israel turned 72 in the modern era last year, 72 years old. And it's taken that long for some of their neighbours and their enemies to reconcile themselves to the existence of the, the nation of Israel in its own land and, and to establish a, a peace and normalisation agreement with them. And the witness to the world that this is the hand of God is there, isn't it? Because there it is on the screen, the Abraham Accords, because this is a this is an agreement signed between Israel and neighbours who, who share the same uh, patriarchal ancestor in, in Abraham himself. There's, there was an opportunity for you and me if we wanted it uh, in this last year, brothers and sisters, to witness to the scriptures and that what they teach us is true, even right back in the the pages of Genesis, and it still has a relevance to us today. So there we were, that, uh, something wonderful happening under our noses. And of course, it may well be um, 
that the, the, the signing of these Abraham Accords was one of the reasons, perhaps just one of the reasons, why God put in place a man like Donald Trump in, in the White House. I know I puzzled over that uh, back in 2016, but he may have been put there simply for this purpose alone, although maybe for many others as well, um, so that this would get done because maybe no one else uh, would have, 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 have done this. It's, um, it's, like, uh, it's like Moses said to Pharaoh, isn't it? Indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. That was the comment of God to Pharaoh through Moses. And, and maybe the same has been true uh, with Donald. Of course, he's going, though, now, isn't he? Um, having got those agreements signed, um, you know, because God puts in place the basest of men and he, and he removes them from power as well. And we, we all wonder, I'm sure, brothers and sisters, what's going to happen next? When we saw those headlines, though, when we heard the call of peace in the Middle East, especially at last between Israel and those who had been her implacable neighbours. And there it is in the headline. This could create real peace in the Middle East. Maybe this took your thoughts to some scriptures. And it's one of those I want to have a look at now with you, if I may, which is, uh, is in the New Testament and it's First Thessalonians and chapter five. So let's uh, let's go there to First Thessalonians chapter five. You know the, the passage I'm going to talk about, I'm sure, because Paul here is writing about the day of the Lord. He's talking about the time of the end. And here we go. Verse one of First Thessalonians five. Paul says concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, let's let's be clear straight away uh, that when Paul writes here about Jesus coming or the sorry, the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, that phrase is used in scripture to talk about the unexpectedness of that day and the return about it coming suddenly uh, Jesus will return when we're not expecting him. It's, it's not about it coming secretly, something that people don't see, because uh, in fact, Paul has only just said at the end of, of uh, chapter four that the, the day of the Lord actually comes uh, with the descent of the Lord Jesus and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet sound of God, the loudest sound that this world will probably have ever heard. Um, but it will catch people out. That's why it's uh, coming as a thief in the night. And one of the reasons Paul says it will come as a thief in the night, unexpected by so many, is because of what's going on at the time. And what's going on is verse three. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. And we are quite right to ask the, the big question in this verse, aren't we? And say, who are they that Paul speaks of? Who is it that's going to be saying peace and safety and will be suddenly caught by the destruction that comes upon them? Is it talking about the world at large? Is this something that everybody will be saying? Is it talking about the, the ecclesia of Christ? Could it be you and me 
who, who are saying those words or, or is it someone else? Well, it seems to me that from what Paul writes here, it's unlikely that he has in mind the, the elect of God uh, because of what Paul goes on to say. He says in verse four, but ye brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light uh, and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Um, so Paul says it's, it shouldn't be us. We should not be caught out unexpectedly by that day. That's not to say, that's, and that isn't the Apostle Paul saying that we won't be caught off guard uh, and caught out by it because of because we have some kind of magic protection that, that we have through being disciples of the Lord Jesus. No, Paul says that the reason we won't be caught out is not because of some sprinkling of, 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 uh, of magic dust, but actually because you and I have been taking notice of the scriptures and of the, the exhortation to us. Because he says in verse five, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And, and watch there means to, to stay awake. So it's, it's our attitude to, to our life and our attitude to God and the coming of that day and, and being prepared. That's what makes us us ready for it so that it won't overtake us as a thief won't come on a day we're expecting but nevertheless it won't catch us unprepared he says goes on to say doesn't he in verse nine uh, sorry verse eight let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation for god did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ and, and it's this this living each day um, as if it were the day the Lord Jesus is going to return and living each day in faith and in hope and in love, as Paul says. That, that's what will keep us awake, brothers and sisters, um, and will mean the day doesn't catch us off guard. We'll, we'll have got the day wrong. We won't be ready in, in terms of we won't have put on our clothes that day saying Jesus is going to come back today. But Paul says it's entirely possible for us to be ready by living uh, as if it, the day was going to come every single day. So back to verse three again. Who is the they of verse three? Well, the biggest hint seems to be actually in the rest of the verse because of what Paul says. He says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. And there's a phrase there that Paul uses in that verse, which is used again and again a number of times in, in Scripture, particularly uh, in the Old Testament. And on the vast majority of occasions where that phrase is used, it's, it's used about the nation of Israel and, and about uh, what's going to happen to them. Just wondering whether I've got to, I might have a, a slide for this. I do indeed. And it's the uh, it's the picture of of labour pains coming upon a, a pregnant woman. And here's, here's Isaiah in one of his prophecies um, speaking as as on behalf of God's people about the troubles about to come on them, it says, therefore, are my loins filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. Yes, Isaiah felt that way. Um, and and uh, at the end of his prophecy, he talks of 
of Jerusalem and says before she travailed, she brought forth before her pain came. She was delivered of a man child who hath heard such a thing, who hath seen such things. Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. So Isaiah speaks on a number of occasions about the people of, of God, people in his day, the people of Judah, going through these labour pains uh, to bring forth uh, a child and, and the child she brings forth you can see is actually a faith that she comes to through her suffering but actually it's Jeremiah who most of all picks up uh, this picture um, of of the uh, the travail of a woman with child and applies it to God's people so come with me if you will on a whistle stop tour Jeremiah chapter 4 and uh, what do we read in Jeremiah 4 the, uh, right at the end of that chapter Jeremiah 4 verse 31 Jeremiah says for I have heard a voice as of a woman in labor the anguish of her who brings forth her first child the voice of the daughter of Zion bewailing herself she spreads her hand saying woe is me now for my soul is weary because of murderers Okay, come on a page to chapter six and verse 23. We're talking of the, the coming of the Babylonians. He says, they'll lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea and they ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labour. Come over a few pages more to chapter 13 and chapter 13 and this time verse 21. God uh, says through the prophet to his people, what will you say when he punishes you? If you've taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you, will not pang seize you like a woman in labour? Uh, and just once more, uh, if you will, chapter 30 this time. and. Um, and in chapter 30, got a group of verses here. Uh, chapter 30 and verse 5. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labour with child. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labour and all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. All these passages that Jeremiah brings to our attention where he talks of God's people going through this time of trouble and, and it being like labour pains upon a pregnant woman. And, and did you notice in that last one we looked there in chapter 30? And look at the context of it, please. That there's, there's a clear last days context to that particular prophecy. I mean, you can take a dual fulfillment to all the others, but it's most noticeable in chapter 30. It foretells, doesn't it, in verse 7, a time of Jacob's trouble. Doesn't that remind you of Daniel 12? Time of Jacob's trouble such as never was. And the, the effect it has on God's people is labour pains. And yet it's also the time, God says, when he will deliver his people out of that trouble. Jeremiah says it. Daniel 12 says it. Let's have a, 
a turnover to Micah as well. Micah 4, because Micah says it as well. Micah chapter 4 and um, verse 9. This, this is Micah uh, 150 years before Jeremiah prophesying about, uh, about Jerusalem and the people of Judah. He says, now, why do, uh, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counsellor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labour. That's Micah 4 verse 9, if I forgot to say that. Verse 10, be in pain and labour to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. Sounds a bit like Zechariah 14, doesn't it? Half the city going into captivity. And to Babylon you shall go. Ooh, that's where they're going then. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Amazing, isn't it? That those ideas are, are brought together by Micah there. So in, in all those passages, then we, we get this, this message, don't we, of, of Israel in their final time of Jacob's trouble, going through pangs of a, of a woman in labour. And actually, God puts them through this to bring something forth, to bring forth faith in him so that he can then deliver them even at the very lowest point when their city is overrun and that their people are taken captive. And it may be then, brothers and sisters, that the Apostle Paul has this in mind when in First Thessalonians 5 he says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labour upon a woman with child. And and you know what what is interesting uh, I, I feel in when we think about this particular uh, turn of phrase that's used in, in prophecy is the fact that it's not just it is mainly used of Israel, but it's used a handful of times as well about the nations immediately around God's people as well, that they too come in for the same treatment. And, it, and it's, it's back in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 48 and 49. Just to, if you just have a, a sneaky look at those chapters. This is Jeremiah's prophecies against the nations. They were in that list I put up at the beginning. But for example, chapter uh, 48 and, and verse 41, talking of Moab, Kerioth is taken and the strongholds are surprised. The mighty men's hearts in Moab on that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. Um, or chapter 42 then now and verse 22. Uh, this is about Edom. Behold, he shall come up and fly like the eagle and spread his wings over Bosra. The heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. Verse 24, Damascus in Syria. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her like a woman in labour. And last one is in chapter 50 when God turns his, uh, his guns on Babylon itself and says in verse 43, the king of Babylon has heard the report about them and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs as of a woman in childbirth. Isn't that interesting that the, the same phrase and idea is used of, this, of those nations uh, around Israel. The very people who, who today have, have been in 2020 making accords with the nation of Israel are the ones who will find themselves with the very same feeling as Israel when when everything unravels yes because the abraham accords that were signed last year we we may find we may find are indeed short-lived and yet 
they play their part, don't they, in, in giving Israel and the nations around that false sense that all is well, that peace and safety can finally come when in fact what God says is coming is sudden destruction. Just as we as we read in Zechariah 14, it's looming on the horizon when all nations actually will end up gathered against Jerusalem to battle. And you know, there, there were, I'm conscious of my time, let's wrap it up. Um, there were plenty of events I felt in 2020 going on in the Middle East that may well be building up towards that turn against Israel by by those around her. The things that may just play their parts. So let me just throw these at you in the last couple of minutes, if I may. Um, oh, sorry, those were the other verses I got you to look at. How about the nation of Iran? If you can think back to January 2020, January started with the assassination of the, the top general um, in Iran, Soleimani. Um, he was assassinated and actually the year ended with another assassination, didn't it? The top nuclear scientist, the one who's thought to be behind all of Iran's nuclear developments. And that, not surprisingly, has led to, to many vows by the Iranian leaders to take revenge for these acts against them. Uh, revenge against America, who seemed to have been involved in January, and revenge against Israel who although they were, uh, in the end of the year and of course the, the first thing that uh, Iran did in January last year was to tear up and pull out of the nuclear deal that they had so that now as you can see from the, uh, the headlines they are uh, pushing forward with the enrichment of uranium so that they are stepping bit by bit towards having uh, nuclear warhead capability eventually and very recently, indeed, they, they've started to renew their threats to the existence of God's people through their proxies, uh, the terrorist organisations in the Gaza Strip and, and in Lebanon. And you can see the, uh, the kind of um, headline grabber there. Iran warns Lebanon Gaza terror groups can level Haifa and Tel Aviv to the ground. Those are the sort of threats that they are making. Of course, um, Lebanon and Gaza, Tyre and Sidon and Philistia of Scripture, who are, who are there in, in so many of the prophecies uh, of the Old Testament. It's not one to be forgotten, is it, brothers and sisters, that Iran is a nation of 83 million people with a standing army of 610,000 and who has allies like these organisations right on the border of Israel itself. That's how close they are. This isn't a distant nation issuing threats from another part of the world. This is one who has its allies and its henchmen right on Israel's northern and western borders. And if that wasn't enough, um, 2020 saw uh, escalation on another front, which was by this nation, by the people of Turkey, because uh, Turkey, which for, for a few years was, was having a much closer relationship with Israel over this last year particularly has become more and more belligerent towards her. Relations have, have plummeted uh, with Turkey as the nation has become less secular and far more Islamic in its outlook uh, and its leader uh, Erdogan has made no secret of his ambition um, 
to to regain some of the glories of the old um, the old empire. In fact, you can see the headline here. Yes, it's another headline grabber. Um, he says that Ankara will liberate the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. I know those are the kind of words that people say to to uh, to get people on their side, but um, he's the man leading that nation. And we should remember that with Turkey too, you have there a nation of 84 million people, a standing army of 437,000, um, a nation that's already operating within the borders of Syria, who themselves border Israel. You know, either of those great big nations in the Middle East, Turkey and Iran, either of them, um, they're both avowed enemies of the people of Israel with, with some very strong anti-Israel feelings going on there. Each, each one of them could very easily bring a vast army uh, and their allies alongside, because they each have allies in, in the region, down into God's land. Uh, and that the links that they have with Israel's neighbours mean that they could actually do those sorts of things very swiftly indeed. Yeah, I, either of those nations uh, could fulfil the, the role of the northern army, which Joel speaks about in, in well, throughout his prophecy, but he calls it the, the, the northern army in, in chapter two, doesn't he? And, and it's Joel, of course, in chapter three that says, Tyre and Sidon, Lebanon and Philistia, the Gaza Strip and Egypt and Edom uh, would be involved as well as and, and feel feel God's wrath eventually for their involvement with this invader. You see, there are when we when we look back at the the headlines and some of the things going on in the Middle East, particularly last year, we can see maybe any number of ways in which peace and safety could turn into sudden destruction. Um, I don't think, brothers and sisters, that uh, that you and I uh, perhaps are, are intended to be able to, to pin down with, with uh, pinpoint accuracy um, where the sudden destruction comes from or which nation it is that brings the sudden destruction. We all have our, our own views. You've heard some of my possibilities tonight and I know, uh, I know there's plenty of other other views within the Brotherhood. Maybe we're not intended to know. Let's let's go back, if we can, please, to finish just reading some words again from First Thessalonians chapter five, because the the message of the apostle Paul was just like the message of Jesus in in Luke twenty one is is not what's going to happen, but what our response is to these things when they happen. Let's have a look at First Thessalonians five verse one concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that i should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord so comes as a thief in the night verse four but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief you're all sons of light and sons of the day we're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So verse seven, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. 
therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We would probably all agree that 2020 was the the year, uh, perhaps in, in our lifetimes, where we have seen the hand of God at work uh, more evidently right across the globe in every country on earth than perhaps at any time since, well, maybe World War II or, uh, or maybe 1948, uh, because it's affected every citizen on the face of the planet, hasn't it, 2020? Uh, including you and me, uh, and you and me to quite a, a significant degree. And, and yet, when you think about it, brothers and sisters, and, and you think about the way that we look at prophecy um, in our Bibles very often, um, you know, al almost every time Vladimir Putin sneezes, we have a, we have a verse from Scripture to, uh, to point to, to say, ah, this is, this is a fulfilment of, of this verse or that verse. It does seem, doesn't it, in the light of that, that there's an awful lot less that scripture uh, has to say that we could link coronavirus to than we might expect, given, particularly given the, the massive impact that it's had this last year. You would expect, actually, given how the world was brought to a, a, a stop during 2020, that coronavirus would be writ large in prophecy all over the place. And, and yet, um, that, that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? And uh, we might ask the question then, where's COVID in uh, the prophetic message? Well, may, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's telling us one, uh, one of two things, or maybe it's telling us both of these things. Um, on the one hand, it might be saying to you and me that perhaps our understanding of prophecy uh, in Scripture about the last days isn't quite as good as we thought it was. That maybe, uh, maybe coronavirus is there, uh, and you and I haven't have been looking in the wrong places uh, because we're focused on other things. It might be partly that, um, or it may be something else altogether. It may be that God's intention with coronavirus, which is still massively impacting us today, uh, is not so much that God is fulfilling a prophetic message that he's given, but rather is trying to make you and me and many other men and women stop in their lives and think. Um, and I want really to have a look at uh, both both of those possibilities in the course of this first study this afternoon. And we'll get to looking at uh, other things other than coronavirus in our, our second study. So uh, we're going to think, first of all, then about um, prophecy. Um, it won't surprise you to to know that uh, if you if you look in prophecy right across the scriptures and all the references there are to, to pestilence, to plague, to disease, the uh, the vast majority of them are very much Israel centred, um, and uh, you you can just see here's just a handful of of ones, uh, some of which you'll know very well where where this idea comes out. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 28, in the big the big chapter with the curses in, uh, Moses says to Israel, "Moreover, God will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, 
which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. That was one of the, the curses from God. And Jeremiah, talking about those things happening in his own lifetime, says to his people, and I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, they shall die of a great pestilence. And, and miles away in Babylon, Ezekiel is saying the very same thing. He, he says um, in chapter five of Ezekiel, so I will send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee, and I will bring the sword upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. So there's, there is plenty of prophetic message about disease, uh, plague, pestilence, um, but it's, it's almost all, uh, almost all in scripture relating to God's people Israel. And you can see, actually, when you look at verses like that, that the primary fulfillment of um, messages like that was at the time uh, when the Babylonians overthrew Judah and Jerusalem. But we shouldn't forget, brothers and sisters, that, that passages like these that we may read of also have a great potential for a last day fulfilment as well. At a time when Israel is about to be overrun by its enemies once again, just as it was in the time of, of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And when, when, you, when you consider that and, and look at that possibility then, that, that Israel will have these sorts of things happening to it again, in, in the last days as, as part of God's final working with his people. Well, then it's quite um, it's quite interesting to have a look at what the news has been in the last year with a focus on the people of Israel, because uh, what may have passed you by, and I don't, I don't know whether it has or not, I guess it depends on what you read and what your focus is, but one of the things we see is that coronavirus has had a disproportionately large effect on the nation of Israel and on the Jewish people in general. And, uh, and you, uh, it's one of those things you can quite easily Google and, and have a look at, uh, at what's said um, and, and what the reasons are, at least the reasons from a, from a human point of view. And very often it's to do with uh, um, the, the living conditions that, that many, certainly many Orthodox Jews live under, uh, large families, closely packed urban environments, um, and the, the lifestyle that they lead, uh, and in some cases resistance to doing anything about coronavirus, but a number of things there seem to have been a real catalyst to the, a much greater spread of the disease amongst God's people um, than, than perhaps in the population at large. So just, just in, in passing, brothers and sisters, um, having seen scripturally, that, that prophecy about disease and, and plague is Israel focused. We shouldn't uh, we shouldn't ignore the possibility then that that is we're going to see that and that we are seeing that again in in our own days today. That we see the the impact again of God's hand not just on the world at large but on His own people in particular, people who God is still working with because He still needs to bring them back to Himself to, to heed what he says in his word. So there's, there's one thing to think about. Maybe as we go through 2021 and things haven't uh, changed a lot, have they? That's maybe one thing to look out for more as well. What about the, uh, the Olivet prophecy though? Because that's, that's what we read uh, a few minutes ago. Can you, can you open your Bibles please with me to Luke's gospel and, and chapter 21? And while, while you're going there, let's let's just consider for a minute the way that we 
that we as a community and I think uh, um, Bible students at large have a look at this this prophecy of the Lord Jesus. For some, um, they read uh, a chapter like Luke 21 and would interpret it as having all been fulfilled in, in AD 70 in the, the overthrowing of the Jewish nation and, and the law of Moses and the, the destruction of the temple. For myself, I find that an unconvincing um, way of looking at it by itself, because for me, writ large in the Olivet prophecy is, is the very distinctive return of the Lord Jesus in glory to, to raise the dead and to bring about God's kingdom and to deliver his people. And, and for me, then it cannot only be about AD 70, but, but uh, that, that's certainly one of the views that's held. That There are others who, who may read Luke 21 and, and Matthew and Mark's equivalents and see it all being fulfilled in the last days. Um, I think for many brothers and sisters, uh, the, the way that we read the, these, these chapters is actually to see it as a bit of both, and that we see parts of, of Jesus's words as being fulfilled within a generation of him speaking them in the events leading up to AD 70, but also parts of the chapter, including the, the return of Jesus in glory, as being very much a last day's message. But maybe if you've um, not thought of it this way before, I can could suggest to you that actually what we have in the words of Jesus here is a, a prophecy like so many in Scripture that has a dual fulfilment, that actually we can read the words of it and, and not be worrying over, well, where do I go from one time period to another time period, but actually see it as having its fulfilment um, very much so in AD 70, but also very much so in the last days because that, that's something that's a pattern that we see through scripture isn't it brothers and sisters that we can look at so many and maybe we ought to look at all uh, prophecy revealed in scripture with with this set of binoculars on um, to see dual fulfillments words which were fulfilled within the lifetime of the the prophet who gave the words um, because that's what Moses said didn't he that that's what we should look for uh, in Deuteronomy 18 um, but also a message that has a, a later fulfilment too. And I guess you can all think of some really good examples of that. Um, passages like uh, maybe Psalm 2, um, a psalm written about the experiences of David as he became king, but which also had a, a, a were a prophecy of, of a thousand years later and the, the death of the Lord Jesus. And, and the, the apostles appreciated that and talk about it in Acts chapter 4. Um, and, and yet uh, Psalm 2 has another fulfillment to come when the Lord Jesus returns again and, and is God's king on his throne in Zion. So a, a triple fulfillment for Psalm 2. Or maybe um, I think of Isaiah 7 and the famous Emmanuel prophecy, the prophecy that was given as a sign to Ahaz. So it had a meaning and a relevance to Ahaz in his day. And yet we see a much greater fulfillment of the virgin shall conceive. 720 years later in the conception and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's something maybe that we we ought to be looking for more then as, as we read, particularly read the Olivet Prophecy. And that's what I want to think about for a few minutes. Well, let's call it a few minutes with you just now. So uh, let's have a, a look at uh, some of the words we read then and go back in at verse eight of Luke 21. We read there, Jesus said, take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. 
therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And, and there it just packed into those few verses, brothers and sisters, there's a whole series of events that the Lord Jesus says are, are going to take place that we should as his followers look for things like false messiahs, war, civil war, because that's what nation against nation means, ethnos against ethnos, civil war, earthquakes, uh, famine, pestilence, persecution of believers. And actually, we can see all of these being fulfilled in, in the lead up to, uh, to AD 70 and the, and the fall of, of Jerusalem. There is a we can look at these with a very Israel centered view and see these things. Uh, having come to pass then. And, and yet you and I can look at these verses all over again today and look quite rightly for a fulfilment of them again in the lead up to Christ's return in glory. And actually, given that today believers in Christ are all over the world, it may be that it's not wrong for us to look at these verses now and, and, and look for a more global fulfillment of these words rather than simply an Israel focused fulfillment although as, as you've seen from just my comments on coronavirus maybe we should still look for a, a, an Israel focus in these things as well as a sort of a microcosm of what's going on in the world at large. So there you are amongst these words then the, the things that would happen um, in diverse diverse places various places my New King James says is the word pestilences there. I used to think uh, only maybe two or three years ago that it was talking about the likes of Ebola virus and yet Ebola actually uh, deadly as it was was contained really to just a chunk of West Africa wasn't it in the main uh, and, and at the moment a uh, part of Central Africa. But before that maybe you can remember back to the 90s and it was AIDS and we looked at AIDS and thought, well, maybe this is the pestilence of which Jesus speaks. And yet AIDS was very much um, was was very much channeled into people with particular lifestyles at the time, wasn't it? But not coronavirus. Because what we have today is a, a disease that is indiscriminate. Something which affects everyone uh, everywhere, even if we don't catch it, actually, we've been affected by it. We're all at risk of, of catching it. And uh, diverse places, oh yes, it's uh, it's been everywhere, hasn't it? Even even you and me here in the UK and, uh, and in other English-speaking nations, for us, for the first time since World War II uh, and the establishment of the modern nation of Israel, our lives have been completely disrupted uh, by something we can't even see, by something that's completely out of our control. What is it the Lord Jesus says towards the end of this prophecy? Verse 25, 
He says there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And it does feel, doesn't it, brothers and sisters, as though we are seeing day after day these very words being fulfilled before our eyes, because that's what we read in our papers or on our online news channels. This is what we watch in the TV news. We see governments struggling to deal with something that they cannot get away from perplexity because we don't know what the right thing to do is to close down our countries or to keep our economies going to protect the young or to save the old nobody knows what to do do they there's no real answer even even with vaccinations being pushed out as fast as they can be and and we've seen particularly in this last year so many men and women uh, suffering mental health problems as a direct result of something they may not even have caught. Imagine that, that something you haven't got yet causes you health problems in another way. And, and it's in a, a time of trouble like this that, uh, that Jesus says, doesn't he, right at the end of, of this prophecy in verse 34, he says to his followers, take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly. I guess maybe we all feel that, don't we? The cares of this life may be weighing us down. But there's other things that Jesus mentions there too as well. And if you can think back, actually, what is now almost 10 months, what was it that cleared the shelves at the start of lockdown? And I know you're all thinking toilet roll. Um, but actually, once uh, once people got over the ridiculousness of toilet roll, um, actually, it was alcohol, wasn't it, that cleared the shelves next? You perhaps have forgotten that at the time, but uh, that was what people thought was important after toilet roll anyway and pasta to be stocking up on, weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. Uh, there's a sort of an echo there, isn't there, in, in what the Lord Jesus says to, uh, to the message of Isaiah, to his nation, when they thought that the game was up for them. What does God say in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for, for mourning, for baldness and for girding with sackcloth, but instead joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that was very much uh, that seemed to be the attitude um, only only nine or ten months uh, ago. So there we are then the pandemic of, of 2020 that, well, it seems it's going to be with us all the way through 2021 as well. At least it's, it is there, isn't it? Isn't it in our scriptures? It, it's just one of the signs, one word. That the Lord Jesus tucks in there that he told us to expect in his Olivet prophecy. Well, it may be as well, I, I put myself out on a limb here. Um, it may be that uh, you and I perhaps need to relook at some other passages of scripture as well. Um, you would expect this uh, from me, of course, but uh, maybe we should be relooking at some of what we read in the book of Revelation at the very least. Um, 
and, and, and perhaps have a, a, a rethink of some of the uh, passages in Revelation with, with more of a last day focus on the way that we view those passages. After all, if I can just quote to you here from Revelation 15, John says at the beginning of that chapter, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Seven last plagues, diseases, and, and they follow, don't they, through, uh, through chapter 16, and they include among them um, diseases of sickness. So maybe there's a, I'm not going to uh, do your homework for you all because it's only something I've been thinking of recently myself, but maybe there's something more there for us to look at again and, and maybe wonder about whether whether there's more to, to the, uh, the vials in, in Revelation than maybe we'd thought of before. Well, whatever your view, brothers and sisters, on, on what prophecy has to say about uh, about coronavirus of much greater significance uh, than whether our interpretation of, of our signs of the times is, is right or not. Much more important is what our response is to COVID-19. Actually, that's the whole thrust of the Olivet Prophecy, isn't it? Just come back, please, to Luke 21 with me. Because in what Jesus says, look at what it's actually all about. Um, and we'll go in again at verse eight. And Jesus said, take heed that you not be deceived. Verse nine, when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Verse 13. The things are happening to you. It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony to preach. Verse 19. By your patience, possess your souls, your, your endurance. Verse 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And finally, uh, verse 34, Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray it always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Do you see, brothers and sisters, that throughout this prophecy, the Lord Jesus is, is looking at you and me and he gives us their encouraging words to, to encourage us to endure. He tells us that we shouldn't be terrified by these things. He tells us to lift up our heads because our redemption draws near. He tells us to avoid the pitfalls of allowing ourselves to be deceived. He tells us to stay awake, to be aware of how these events coming on the earth may impact on our lifestyle and, and our readiness for that day. So the, the big message for you and me then is not, have we got it right? Is this the right thing I'm looking at? It's more this, how am I responding? How are you responding to this 
one sign of the time amongst many that are coming on the earth, which has affected every single one of us and every brother the whole world over in Christ. Let's just take a, a step back and think back then, because this is, is after all, a review of, of 2020. All our meeting rooms closed in March last year. Every last one of them. Something that you and I had probably done uh, all our lives, um, ever since we were babies, children, when we came into the truth, something that was a routine for us that we did every week, maybe several times a week. Everything that we built our lives around was gone in a stroke, just like that. Two weeks notice, maybe we had that this was coming and, and then it was all taken away. Did that act for you and me as a spiritual wake up call? D did we turn to the scripture for guidance and say, well, has anybody else been in this situation before? What, what did they do about it? D did those events back in March last year, did they help you and me to, uh, to suddenly wake up and, and look for other opportunities then for service uh, before God? Because the normal opportunities we'd, we'd have were taken away. It is interesting, you know, to think about what happened in the first century when the brothers and sisters there had their meetings so rudely disrupted. Just turn, if you will, with me, please, to Acts chapter 8. Because, you know, if, if, we, if we look back at those who've gone before and what they faced, this isn't the first time this kind of thing's happened, is it? Um, certainly not scripturally. Let's have a look at uh, Acts chapter 8 and just a couple of verses there. Acts 8 and verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the ecclesia, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Is that amazing? The very same opportunity was given to you and me for, from March onwards, you know. Um, I, I guess most of us have moaned for the last, well, I've been moaning most of my life, uh, about the fact that so few people come through our doors to the meetings. Well, God said, here's an opportunity for you then. I'm not going to have them coming through the doors anymore. What will you do about it? And instantly God prompted all of us to to do something, to look at uh, new ways of preaching, whether that was to the Iranians who've been beating down our doors for the last two or three years to, to find ways to, uh, to, to carry on the witness to them all over the country in whichever way we could. Or whether it was an opportunity God gave us to reach the thousands of men and women who've never been through our doors. And God said, well, you know, there's a reason for the Internet. It's so that you can get through those people's doors, even when they don't come to you. There was an opportunity granted to us to, to think about how we might share the word of God online with, with men and women who all of a sudden had nowhere to go. No entertainment to go out to, no pub to visit, no, no bingo uh, at Mecca to go to every week. Men and women who suddenly were at a loose end, but spending a lot of time 
online instead. Did you and I take that opportunity individually or ecclesially when it was sprung upon us by God back in March? Did we even take the opportunity that was given to us to do something for ourselves, to, uh, to move online with our own meetings? Or was that when the challenge became too hard? Is that when maybe uh, maybe maybe some apathy sent in? Maybe uh, maybe it was easier for us at that point when suddenly our our, our normal world was taken away uh, for us just to, to to drift across to to YouTube and to to, to dial into the broadcast of a big meeting uh, that was already doing this in, instead of valuing our own fellowship. The brothers and sisters on our own doorstep that, that we've we've been living with for so many years and meeting with and and want to carry on meeting with. To, to what degree, when all these things happened to us and, and so many challenges faced us, to what degree did you and I consider others, others within our own immediate ecclesia during lockdown? What about the poor brothers and sisters? in our meetings who don't have access to the internet? Or what about those who are going to need a lot of help to, to set it up uh, for themselves? What, what did we do to help those? It's quite heartwarming, you know, um, to, uh, to touch base with our old Ecclesia in crew um, some months ago and to find that the that the, uh, the Ecclesia there had actually gone to the trouble of buying tablets, not as in aspirin, uh, but tablets for the brothers and sisters who didn't have internet access so that they would be internet enabled and able to, uh, to carry on joining in with online breaking of bread. Uh, so that everybody, everybody in the meeting was thought about. Nobody was forgotten. Just come with me, if you will, please, um, to, uh, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and, and chapter five. Again, Paul has some, uh, some very well-known words for us here in, in Ephesians 5. And he says to us there in verse 15 of the chapter, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Well, <laughs> the days are, are certainly evil. Uh, so there's the Apostle Paul saying to us, redeem the time. And, and really, March to July last year, if you can still think back to that that period of four months well that was an opportunity for you and me to to really redeem the time to make a better use of our time because many of us had time on our hands that we hadn't perhaps expected uh, but it was a time too wasn't it when we could seek out the lonely in our ecclesias when those of us who have somebody else in the house could think of those who didn't have anybody else in the house where maybe we could pick up the phone because we couldn't visit Maybe we could actually get them on Zoom uh, or on some one of these other newfangled things. Uh, maybe we could help them to share a different sort of, of fellowship altogether. Maybe it was an opportunity for us to sit down and think about the impact of these restrictions on our children, on our young people. I, I know my audience today is, um, <clears throat> how shall we put it? probably the other side of my age in the main. But um, did we think during that period of all those families with children 
whose whose best company had been cut off just like that. All those Sunday schools and youth clubs that, that were the lifeline spiritually for, for our young people, the next generation of Christadelphians, gone, gone in a moment. You know, how were we going to help them in those months of no meetings to, so that they could continue to develop the friendships that are so important for our, for, for our spiritual well-being in, in the long term? Did we think of others through those months of lockdown, brothers and sisters? Um, and not just think of ourselves. Well, that was that four months, wasn't it? And, and then can you remember when, when infections got so low that in July the restrictions were lifted? Didn't seem that low back then, but looking, looking at it with the uh, hindsight of, uh, of January, the, whatever date we are today, the 16th, uh, they really were low then. And the government... Uh, the government eased the restrictions, including the freedom for our meeting rooms to open once again. Well, I, I say our meeting rooms, though, those who have their own meeting room. I know it's been very diff different and very difficult, actually, for, for ecclesias who hire rooms uh, because that's not always been the, a possible but for them. But for those with a meeting room, the freedom was there again, that to a degree, at least, at last, we could actually go back to having physical face-to-face -face fellowship with brothers and sisters. We'd actually be able to go back to keeping our Lord's command in the way he intended. Sharing bread and wine together and fellowship, uh, that communion, rather than the, the imperfect way that we'd, we'd maybe built it up over, over the previous four months. And so when July came and the government said, you can do it, we all rushed back, didn't we? We rushed back to our meeting rooms, two metres apart, cleansing our hands on the way in, spraying every surface and uh, wearing a mask. Whilst at the same time, of course, uh, keeping in mind the brothers and sisters who wouldn't be able to do that, maybe through sickness or vulnerability or, or child minding. Um, and, and we made provision for them, didn't we, to make sure that even though maybe we could go back to the meeting, those at home could still join in and maybe we'd have a, a hybrid uh, a hybrid way of, of having fellowship where those able to would be in one another's company again. We rushed back to doing that, didn't we? Uh, when from July onwards, we were allowed to. Or did we? Maybe we didn't. Uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm by no means uh, in touch with with every ecclesia, not even in, in the Midlands, never mind the country. But uh, it seems to me that by July, after the, the pain of getting online, maybe by July we'd become a little bit too comfortable as a community and, um, and have become too focused on what had become actually very easy and very comfortable meetings online. And going back to the meeting, actually going to our hall would mean traveling again getting in a car going out on a cold winter's morning wearing face masks throughout a service not being able to sing hymns and belt them out uh, the way we we would have liked to actually we could stay at home and, and visit whatever meeting we wanted to we could avoid the speakers we didn't like and go to another meeting instead we could flip channels as it were from week to week and go to the breaking of bread that suits us most of all a bit like uh, 
a bit like channel flipping on the TV while sitting in our armchair at home. We could take without necessarily giving all too easily. Maybe that's what the reality has been like for many ecclesias and many brothers and sisters since July. If it has been like that for you, brothers and sisters, um, then this is the time, isn't it, for us to stop and ask the question, what, what was it really that happened at that point in the year? What was it that stopped us in July when the government said you can go back to communal worship and services again and still says we can do that today at least on Saturday the 16th of January what is it that really stopped Ecclesias from taking those few steps that are needed to get back to uh, having face-to-face -face meetings to true true fellowship with one another well how, is it the fear of, of contracting Covid is, is that is that what it's been like for us that we have because of what we've seen on our news and, and, and heard of happening, have we been afraid to go back and to, to take that step because we were worried for ourselves and maybe worried for others around us as well, those that, that we have contact with. Maybe that fear has, has kept us back and has said, we won't do it because we'll wait. We'll wait for the vaccine. When we've all had the vaccine, then, then we'll get back to meeting. It could be a very long wait, couldn't it, brothers and sisters, especially for the young. If, if fear has been one of the, the driving forces for, for you and me, then it's good, isn't it, to remind ourselves at this point now about who we put our trust in. Do we, do we trust God as we said we do all these years, as we said we did? when we put our faith in his salvation in baptism? Or, or have we unwittingly slipped into trusting mankind, uh, the, the, the people who do not have an answer to this pandemic? It's worth, isn't it, just, just reminding ourselves of the things the scripture says. Just come back, if you will, back into the Psalms and, and let's have a think of what um, what the psalmist says back there, oh sorry, Psalm 146. In, in Psalm 146, again, we, you know, these are really well-known words, aren't they? But the psalmist reminds us, verse three, do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. And, and I think when, when we read words like that, those, there's a challenge for us, isn't there, brothers and sisters? And maybe in many ways that was the challenge of, of 2020 when we, when we came out of the, the first lockdown and we were told you can, you can go back and worship again. And the challenge to us, many of us today still now, is to examine our hearts as, as God himself does and to, to look at our own motivation and, and to consider whether 
whether whether matters of, of worship and fellowship and remembrance of the Lord Jesus, whether in these matters, whether while God still gives us this freedom, whether we are trusting him as, as much as we could. Now, you, you know that I'm not suggesting that we all are, are foolish in the way that we, we behave. And and to be fair, though, those in, in our own ecclesia who've, who've made the step to 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 meet in our meeting room for the benefit of those who are on their own uh, without Internet, we, we climb a mountain each week to, to be there because of all the things we go through and the, the common sense cautions, precautions that we take. But there is a, there's a place, isn't there, for putting our trust in, in our God as well. Well, for, for, for other brothers and sisters, perhaps the reason meetings didn't restart again, as you know, I remember in March, it was, I can't wait till we can get back together. But then in July, it just didn't seem to happen. And, and one of the, the messages was, was brothers and sisters not feeling comfortable uh, with returning to the meeting again, because it would be so different. Because you'd have to wear a mask all the way through because you couldn't sing hymns, wouldn't be able to shake hands with each other uh, even. We'd have to uh, sanitise on the way in and the way out. And every time we touched anything, we, we'd have to uh, socially distance from each other. That's not the Christadelphian way, is it? Where we block the doorways all the time because we're, we're chatting so much. I'm not comfortable with going back to the meeting unless I can do it in the way I, I used to. Uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before, brothers and sisters. That's to tell you, a not as in not in a talk, because um, uh, I do this all the time in normal life. But I'm going to I'm going to read you a story. Um, it's not a story. It's a real uh, it's a reminiscence from my own grandfather. And it comes from Nuneaton. Um, my father was born in Nuneaton uh, just before the war started. That's where my grandparents lived in Nuneaton. So it seems uh, it seems. Uh, incredibly apt given the time kind of in Nuneaton today. Here we go. Uh, please, please, if you will, withhold judgment on my grandparents. You'll see what I mean when I read this. During the war, uh, Timothy would be about five. Uh, Phyllis and I were both needed at Bible class, uh, she, she to play the organ. I persuaded the recording brother to write Timothy a letter explaining that since mum and dad were both needed, would he please help by staying at home on Tuesday nights on his own? It was the blackout period too. He quailed a bit at this, but bravely said yes. So each Tuesday we would tuck him up in bed and leave him locked in, in the darkness. It worked very well. But there was some anxiety one night when a bemused German raider dropped a stick of five bombs about a quarter of a mile away from the house, Timothy in bed and we at Bible class. As I say, uh, please, uh, please withhold uh, judgment on my Wichicker grandparents for, uh, for, for what they did. But I just want to think about what, what's sitting behind that, that rather chilling story about their neglect of my father. It probably explains a lot about why, why he was like he was. Um, but it's this, this was the middle of World War II, during the Blitz, during the blackout, and the Ecclesia at Nuneaton were meeting during that period um, in need of an organist and, and, uh, and twisting my grandmother's arm to, uh, to carry on going along so that they could carry on singing hymns uh, on a Tuesday night at Bible class. 
despite what must have been uh, a period of very real fear and absolute true and present danger for every brother and sister in the ecclesia there. And I get, of course, that was true right across that part of the Midlands, wasn't, wasn't it? Nuneaton and, and Coventry um, particularly. Uh, what discomfort those brothers and sisters back then, you know, that ecclesia in Nuneaton, what discomfort they were allowing themselves to be put through then uh, during uh, World War Two. What was it? I, you know, I look back and I read those words and I say, what was different about that generation to our own? That, uh, that for them, the opportunity that even though there was blackout and there were bombs dropping, for them, the, the opportunity to get together and worship and have fellowship and break bread and, and do Bible study on a Tuesday night, that the desire to do that overcame every fear, every discomfort, everything, every restriction that might otherwise have put them off. What, what was it that meant they, they really didn't want to miss having that face-to-face -face fellowship? And maybe when we look back at a story like that, we, we maybe then think about ourselves and our own ecclesial situations and said, well, you know, what was the was the effort really too much for us to uh, to, to try and do the, the same thing as well? You know, what was it? Has it been too hard for us to to, to try and put in place the logistics? Um, hard though they may have been that would allow. Uh, brothers and sisters to both meet at our meeting rooms and and meet with us from home because I know it's a there's a real challenge involved in in doing that or that a challenge for big ecclesias um, to try and share a small space maybe having to to take turn and turn about to to be back at the meeting or I know um we, we think an awful lot of, uh, of of rugby and what they've done in in hiring an extra hall because so many of their, their brothers and sisters can then have an opportunity to be a to be to be back together again you know what 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 effort are we willing were we willing to go through and are we still willing to go through to to try and to try and make sure that brothers and sisters who don't have the internet aren't disadvantaged and those for whom coronavirus has, has created real mental health issues that they have an opportunity to actually meet face to face with with their brothers and sisters because that for them could be an absolute spiritual lifeline. And, and it's far, I know this is one way that we meet, but for many, it's far better if we can provide an opportunity to talk face to face. And for our young people and for the next generation, what could we be doing? What could we have done for them? You know, the, the Lord Jesus knew, knew full well, didn't he? What a, what a toll the last days would, would take on, on his disciples um, for all sorts of reasons. You know, it's in, in Matthew's uh, record of the Olivet Prophecy. He says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And, and, and coronavirus has, 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 has provided an opportunity for our, our love um, and for the love of many. It's, it's provided an opportunity for that particular door to open if we let it um, for our love. To, to grow cold or remember Jesus in Luke 18 said when the son of man comes will he find the, the faith on on the earth and and we understand why Jesus said that now because every single one of us in one way or another has been affected by uh, by this one this single sign of the Lord Jesus coming 
So with nothing else then, brothers and sisters, um, 2020, when we look back at it and we think of, in particular, the coronavirus, um, 2020 maybe has been a wake-up call for you and me, and perhaps it still is in January 21. It's a wake-up call to say, let's, let's re-examine our daily life in, in Christ um, and think about uh, what we, what you and I personally are doing to, to help one another through this particular crisis in our lives, in this particular crisis for our community. Maybe even if our meetings don't get back together, at the very least we can think of each other and, and the individuals out there in our meetings who may particularly be suffering from, from a lack of face-to-face of -face contact and, and fellowship and, and see what we can do for each other to, to build up our faith uh, so that we all come through these troubled times in faith, as, uh, as, as the Lord Jesus himself goes on to say in Matthew, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And surely that's, that's what we all want, isn't it? Thank you.